everyone, I'm Taffney Hopper, and you're listening to Talking Nonprofits, a podcast about the world of nonprofits. Follow along so you too can learn how to make a difference in your community. Today on the podcast, we have a guest from the El Paso Community Foundation, Catherine Berg, Vice President of Donor Relations. Here's a snapshot about Catherine. Catherine is the Vice President of Donor Relations of the El Paso Community Foundation. She believes in improving our great city one step at a time by working on projects that affect the greater good. As a part of the foundation, she truly enjoys being a part of an organization that has invested more than $230 million back in the community since 1977. In her spare time, she founded Catherine Speaks Enterprises, providing a professional voiceover narration for documentaries, commercials, and a variety of other projects. Since 1977, Catherine has moderated and co-produced The El Paso Physicians, a live one-hour call-in television program. Originally from Germany, Catherine enjoys living in the America Southwest, yet she returns to Germany every two years to feast on authentic snizzle. And that's just part of her impressive bio. Hello there. How are you doing? Thank you, Captain, for joining our podcast. Walk us through your day as the El Paso Foundation President of Donor Relations. What do you do when you get on the I know you guys are not back at work yet, are you? We are kind of staggering uh, workforces. It's the hybrid situation I think most people are going through right now. So I'm in the office a couple of days a week. The accounting staff is there. I'd say probably most of the time, if not all. Um, But the rest of us are kind of staggering time here and there. And we realize that Zoom meetings are quite efficient. You can get in and out of a meeting in 45 minutes where in the old days, it would have taken an hour and a half, two hours maybe to get to and from, chit chat before, chit chat after. Um, So in a strange way, there, there are things that we have learned by working at home or working remotely that we never would have learned in the past with just technical old school meetings, if that makes sense. But my day consists of anything and everything that happens to be going on at that time. We all have titles, that's fine. But at the end of the day, we have such a small staff. We have 16 to 18 people on staff, 16 full-time, 18 part, you know, with part-time staff. But we do, for example, when COVID hit, we just went into a fund called Get Shift done. And I have to make sure I say that correctly because it's so easy not to say correctly. Um, And then other COVID relief type funds that we have uh, started into to make sure that medical facilities, for example, hospitals were getting PPE, we're getting protection uh, gear, but a lot of other either medical facilities or dentist facilities or clinics were not. So we put together a fund to help produce or purchase those kind of uh, equipment and bring those too. So it's it's whatever is going on at any given time. Um, when the shootings of August 3rd happened, we made sure that we had a fund that started immediately. We didn't know what to do with it without question, um, but we got telephone calls from all around the country who said, uh, Catherine slash Eric, the people who answered the phone, listen, you are in an odd position. You now belong to a club you never wanted to be in. And with that, we learned how people were able to distribute funds, do it fairly, do it equitably, uh, do it in a way to wasn't just like we're throwing money at a situation because it's so easy to do that. But then what do you do when it comes to all the ancillary projects and effects that come with those type of things? So to define the job, it really truly is whatever's going on at that time, that's what we're all doing. 
In your role as the Vice President of Donor Relations, how do you help El Paso Community Foundation meet its goals? Goodness, the question is how many goals are there and there are too many to be counted. Um, at the end of the day, community foundations around the country basically exist so that money into the community foundation results in money out to the different nonprofits that are around in that community. We do indeed do that, but at the same time, we also do leadership projects, which is very unique uh, compared to other community foundations around the country. A great example that most people will be familiar with at this point is helping out with the Plaza Theater uh, renovation restoration, which is now on a historic list nationally, which wasn't the case before. It was going to turn into a parking lot. And our great board at the time, again, this is before my time, at least with the Community Foundation, although I was involved in, in some of the tours at that time. But when we are able to take leadership role and help out the public-private partnership, or at least create a public-private partnership to make things greater and better, that's where we jumped in. And so when the Plaza Theater was restored, opened again in 2006, it really kicked off the revitalization of downtown. There was a renaissance that continues to happen downtown and we're into it for a good 15 years now. The real hard hitting renaissance has been going on for the last eight, nine years. Um, currently we are working on the El Paso Children's Museum. So we are in the middle of a project right now to name that building. And it's basically the Science Museum and it's international as far as how we have put together the ideas of what the stations are gonna be architecturally. Um, there is a, an architecture firm from, again, out, outside of El Paso, outside of the country. We wanted to make sure that this is a world stage type of a platform. So that is our leadership project on the ground right now, which will take us several million dollars to complete and it won't be done until fall of 2002. Um, describe the methods that you have found effective to solicit cash or in-kind donations or sponsorships or anything from, from government donors. Well, I just think over the years, people don't give to organizations per se. They will give either to people that they know for a reason and or they will give to the cause. And the cause has to be something that they feel in their heart. It's not going to be something that they have on paper and think, okay, well, I'm going to give to these five organizations. It has to be something that really speaks to them. Usually it's from a past experience or it's something that talks to them. Uh, Maya Angelou, I like using her quote, people will forget what you say. They'll forget what you do, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. So people will give to causes that made them feel something. On that note, depending on who the donor is and who you're trying to uh, solicit at that time, you find out what their interests are and attack it from that mode. Um, it's not always successful because there is a, a dance that everyone goes through, whether it's a waltz or a tango, or sometimes it's a foxtrot, but you have to figure out what that is before you approach the donor, but you have to have all your, all your lessons aligned before you go there and do the ask. And the ask is never just a one-time thing. It usually takes several as several setups to get to that point. Okay. What is the most challenging part of identifying identifying and building relationships with potential donors? I know you say find something in common, but if you don't find something in common, how can you what are some challenging parts of building that relationship? You just got to get to know them. It's you can do it old school. You can call them on the telephone. You can just show up at their office. You can write what I call in my office little love notes, which is handwritten handwritten that's so important handwritten little notes that go to people so they will open it if something's in their box and they have that there they'll pay attention to that um, and that's just the beginning of the building of a relationship 
But again, that's where I said earlier, it's not the organization necessarily that they'll give to, it's the person that they have to find some kind of circling trust around. And if that person is not a person that they trust, they're not gonna give, and it's that simple. You look at that on a ground circle, on a grassroots circle, but later on as you go and you're looking for several million dollars for different projects, that still holds true because the person doing the ask is still an important person, but now you have a lot of strategies in place to say yes to. So it really is building from the ground up, and I call it ship building. Again, it's one of those words like get shift done, but there's the ship building. You establish some kind of a relationship that may turn into a kinship, that may turn into a friendship, may turn into a sponsorship. So it really is building from the ground up. It's, it's rare that somebody will just get in, do an ask, and get some kind of a sponsorship from there. Speaking of handwritten notes, how do your sponsors or your donors like to be recognized when they give, you know, even if they give $500, $5, how, how do you recognize those donors or those sponsors? I personally go to visit them in person. Again, I, I talk about the love note, but then there's some kind of a gift that I give them and I try to make it as specific to them, you know, that, that really makes a difference. So I try to find something specific to them and the reason why they give and get them something that resembles that. So that's a way of thanking them. And people don't need more stuff. People that are giving, those are not people that need more stuff. They need some kind of an outreach. Um, some people are interested in naming opportunities that they would like to have a legacy that carries on behind them. Other people don't. Uh, for example, I when I give, I don't want my name attached to anything because it's not about that for me. For other donors, it's very much about that. So you just have to figure out what that dances with that particular person and go with that. So it's not really a one answer I can give you on that. It just really depends on the donor. What's one tip you can give to someone who may be applying to or grant or some tips? Right. It, be as specific as possible. Um, less is more when you're applying for a grant. It'd be much better to give a narrative that is in bullet points and give those specifics on there and a budget as to where you want the money spent that you are requesting. So if you're requesting, and let's just go with 10,000, so we'll go on a low scale. If you have $10,000 that someone is requesting and we can go to puppies and children, right? Puppies and children, so let's say it's an animal shelter and then you would say, okay, well, we're gonna do 4,000 in spade and neutering. There's gonna be another 2,000 that will be in housing, rent, lights. And that's something that the El Paso Community Foundation does understand and respect. Somebody's gotta keep the electricity on. Somebody does have to pay for salaries, we get that. If that is outlined in the budget, in the 10,000, for example, that they're asking for, it's nice to know where that money is going to go. And the person who is applying for it, they're being responsible how that money is going to be spent. There will be a report that's requested for when somebody applies for a grant. So the more that that report matches the budget that is spent with receipts and however they do it, that matters to the committee that is judging these grants. Another thing true is to make sure that you're not duplicating services that another organization of a like kind is doing. It is uh, very good if there is one organization, say there are three or four different animal organizations and, and there, there are 20 in El Paso, right? That are really doing great things. But if you are showing some kind of partnership with animal organization A and then animal organization D is doing something else, but you guys are working together and you show that in your grant application, you know, we are trying to leverage different 
essentials and different types of things from other organizations, that's helpful to the committee to know that you're just not a lone wolf out there trying to do your own thing, but you're collaborating with other organizations. And it helps getting funding for all the organizations at that time. Okay, so team, it's a team effort, right? It's team effort, yes. Collaboration is the key there for sure. Yes. What is the best donor campaign that you've been involved in and why was it the best? I don't know if it's a donor campaign, but I will kind of switch that up to going in my past life. We passed the 2001 El Paso non, it was a smoking ordinance, but technically it was a workplace non-smoking ordinance. That was the name of it, but it was more about getting advocacy, getting people you were talking about teaming earlier getting all the people that are collaborating with that. And at the time, we're in Texas, we're a very, very Republican state, passing a smoking ordinance was like, no way, Jose, that's not gonna happen. Um, but it was all about, at that point, collaborating with people. It was about the collective effort, and it was also about trying to get people that come together for one common cause, if not two or three common cause that are very, very similar. That's a time and a place where I learned that convening is so incredibly important. When you take two or three different organizations that are in the same cause and in the same idea of getting something done, when they convene and put their minds together, there's nothing that can stop them. And so you can look at this as far as raising money, when you can look at UTEP's uh, Centennial raising money there, there's several million that need to be raised from there. Again, there are a lot of people in this town that either have a degree with UTEP. So again, it's about convening, collaborating and having 10 or more voices talking about the same thing with either fundraising or trying to get legislative issues to go through or whatever that happens to be. So that to me is the most important thing. What's some past mistakes that you've made that other people can learn from? Thinking you can do it alone. <laughs> that is a huge mistake. And frankly, asking for help when you need it. Sometimes you think you've got it. Oh, I got this. I know what I'm doing. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. Um, that's a mistake. So once you really realize you need other people in your corner, that's when the magic happens. The mistakes are when you really think that you've got it down, you're the smartest person in the room, you don't need anybody else telling you what to do or how it's done. Those are mistakes that I have find over and over and over again people make. I've done that myself. Um, and that's when I really realized that I need to sit back and I need to listen to the experts in the room that have that particular thing that they're really, really good at. And I sit back and I listen to it and let's see if we can all get together on it. And, and I just let the magic happen on its own. So the mistake truly for me, and I think for many people is just thinking that you've got this down. What do you love about the El Paso Community Foundation? I love our nimbleness. I love the fact that we're able to turn on a dime and attack what is happening right now. Um, we talked a little bit before the interview, when August 3rd happened, we were right smack in the middle of the film festival. We had several uh, guest stars in town. We were in the green room. I got the information, our president got the information, and within an hour, we were able to put together um, a shooting victims fund right away. And, and, and again, we were talking about that's money because people don't know what to do. People just know they want to help. And the quickest thing they can do is like, I got to throw a hundred bucks there. I got to throw five bucks there. I got it. And then at the end of the day, you're looking at, okay, well, now we have money and money is always icky. There's an ickiness factor to money. I don't, I don't care how you look at it. When you're looking at donations, when you're in the political sphere, whether you're in the charitable sphere, or if you're really trying to help out the shooting victims fund, for example, 
but it is at the end of the day, one of the easiest things people can do. And then you're kind of in the mindset, well, let's figure out, you know, somebody else is going to figure out what they do to distribute that money and make sure that it's fair and equitable and make sure that all the ancillary issues are dealt with. And so when you're looking at that, again, that's such a team effort. We had people from all over the country calling us and saying, you know, we just had this happen last year. People from Las Vegas called us, people from North Carolina called us and said, you were now in a club that you didn't ask to be in. Let me tell you the mistakes that we've made, talking about mistakes from earlier, because it's so easy to take money in and just give money out. That's a mistake. Um, and we learned that early on, not from us. We learned that from other people who were willing to share their mistakes and said, you know what, this is what we found wasn't the greatest thing to do. So it took the El Paso Community Foundation along also with the Paso de Norte Community Foundation. We created one fund and it took a good eight months to be able to distribute that money in a fair way. There were different levels of who got what, why, when. Um, and there was a lot of making sure that the sheriff's department was involved, the police department was involved, the FBI was very, very involved. So it wasn't just throwing that money out. So it's, it's an easy thing to say and throw out there. But again, what I love about the El Paso Community Foundation is the fact that we're able to do that on, on a turn of a dime and, and figure it out from there. And again, have the relationships that we have around the country, but also internationally. We have quite a few in Mexico and some in Europe that we've dealt with um, when, for example, the Mexico earthquakes were going on. You know, that was something that happened before August 3rd. And that was when we really learned we need to put together a fund right now, right now. And there are people in New York that were expats uh, that wanted to give money to Mexico, but how are we going to do that fairly? How are we going to do that equitably? So they came through the El Paso Community Foundation, and then we found the different organizations and the uh, agencies in Mexico to do that. So again, it's, it's all about flexibility and helping out when you can. And really, it's about right now, right now, not always in the future, because that's already built in. We've got endowments right and left but it's about being able to do something that's happening right now and being able to help that situation right now. Now, how can our community get involved? We have several projects that, that people can see and, and click into. So the El Paso, uh, El Paso Children's Museum, again, that's one we've already talked about. There's a Plaza Classic Film Festival. So anyone who is interested in the arts, interested in films, that's a way that they can look on our website and see all the things that we do around that. Um, something I'm very proud of, years ago, six years ago, we started something called the Jewel Box Series. There's that small theater on top of the Plaza Theater that is a 202-seated uh, theater that looks very much like the Plaza Theater. It's called the Philanthropy Theater. It's a very sexy name. So we decided to uh, throw some sexy words to it and call it the Jewel Box Theater. So we started a series of local artists that are doing either local theater, local music, local, just weird programs that nobody would put on. So they can come and, and figure out a way to present in the El Paso Community Foundation in that philanthropy theater, along with El Paso Live. It is, to them, it is free of rent. They will have to pay all the other costs to them, um, but that's just artistically that we can do some things. Artistically as well, there's art space lofts that you may have heard of. Um, that is technically HUD housing. And we did not have something like that in El Paso. And that's one of those leadership projects that we got into between the Plaza Theater and between the Children's Museum of how do we try to help artists who are starving artists. There is a reason they're called starving artists. There's not money to be made when you're making a canoe, for example. There's a, a gentleman 
in art space loss and what if one of his artistic venues or ways of expressing his artistry is through making very specific eccentric type of canoes. So how does one apply? How does one uh, register? How does one be accepted to art space loss? That's something that internationally, again, there's something that's art space loss international. We just happen to have one in El Paso because we fought for about five years to get that done. So that's a way to get involved as well. Um, we've got economic development things going on right and left. Anyone can just go to our website or just call our number, which is 915-544-4020, um, and just ask for anyone to talk to. They can talk to me. I'm Catherine Berger. They can talk to Eric Pearson. Those might be the two main people. Uh, Stephanie Otetto is a person that is kind of taking the lead of the El Paso Children's Museum right now. Um, but there's so many different ways. We give and we apply with all services that come with education, that come with health, that come with art, uh, immigration, economic development, you name it, it's all out there. Our final question. Uh -huh. At Talking Nonprofits, our goal is to connect nonprofits to the community. In your own words, what is community to you? Ah, the big question. Community is anyone that you are involved with. Um, I think sometimes people think community is a place. I don't see community as being a place. I think that people who are in our region, they might identify that as community. But if you are an artist and you have someone in Paris and you have someone in Afghanistan and you happen to have someone in Africa, that is your artistic community. And that is what community means to you in that space, in that place. When you are talking geographically, then yeah, there's the downtown community, which is why when we put art space together, the whole idea of it was artists don't necessarily need the Starbucks next door or the Albertsons across the street. They will and happily convene wherever there's anything that they can get. So that is a true artist community, but that's within downtown. So you can look at it that way as well. You can look at linguistic community, but for us with the El Paso Community Foundation, it really is every soul that happens to be living in this area. So we're talking 2 million people. And what is it that we all have in common? We live here. What's the definition of here? That's the, the word for everyone that they can go to downtown. They can go to a certain place. Here means that they're within driving distance to get where they need to be to be part of that community. It could be artistic. It could be medical. It could be anything that you make it. So it's a, it's a bit of a broad answer, but it's an answer that I truly believe in. It's, it's spot different for, you know, you can have that answer four different times a day, be completely different answers four different times a day. Okay. Thank you, Catherine, for enlightening us on the El Paso Community Foundation. It was a joy to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. It was a pleasure. Have a good one. You too. Join me each week to learn about a nonprofit's journey by subscribing to Talking Nonprofit wherever you receive your podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And as always, if you have any questions or would like to be featured on the show, send a note via the contact form on our website. Until next time, be the difference.